0: 1 Samuel chapter 15. And as we begin, I want to read just a couple of verses. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 10 and verse 11. And then we'll skip down to verse 35. So 1 Samuel 15, verse 10, it says, Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king for he has turned back from following me and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. Look down at verse 35. Samuel came no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul. And the Lord, look at this last phrase again, the Lord repented that he had made Saul king over Israel. Let's pray. Father, as we look into your word, Give us understanding, give us encouragement. Uh, May you use it to uh, further our walk with you. Uh, This we pray and thank you for in Jesus' name. Amen. Heard about a college student. He'd received a framed picture of his girlfriend. And uh, on the back of the picture, it had this note. It said, my dearest Tom, I love you with all my heart. My love for you grows stronger each and every day. And there is nothing in this world that could ever pull me away from your loving arms. And it was signed, eternally yours, Diane. And at the bottom it had this little note. It said, P.S. If we ever break up, I want my picture frame back. So maybe her love wasn't quite as undying as she said. But I have a question for you this morning. I want us to ponder and that question is, does God change? Now, immediately we probably have an answer for that, but let me ask you another question to go along with that. Does God ever change his mind? You see, Malachi 3.6 we know, and there's other verses, but Malachi three six says, I am the Lord and I change not. In fact, that's one of the key tenets of our faith the immutability of God that is it's not just a matter of that he does not change but the the fact of the truth is that he cannot change he is God he does not he cannot change you know James says that with God there's no variableness there's no no shadow of turning not even a, a, a a hint a shadow that that he would turn and so I want us to think about that for a moment. This God, in, 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 our God in His nature, His attributes and counsels is unchangeable. He remains, remains forever the same. The God who spoke the worlds into existence, who delivered Israel out of bondage through miracle after miracle. Uh, the, the, the God of, of, uh, of Abraham and Isaac, of, of Moses and Joshua, the God of Gideon and, uh, and Elijah, and on and on it goes. It's the same God that we serve today. He does not change. And yet here in 1 Samuel chapter 15, not once but twice, it says it repented God that he made Saul king of Israel. In fact, at least a dozen times in the Old Testament, it says that God repented. And the word repent, in general, we know that means to, to turn, right? To and yet the Bible says there is no shadow of turning in God. So how do we, how do we remedy this? How do we? get this settled in our theological think our our minds i mean here he says uh, verse 11 a me. i set saul to be king verse 35 again it says the lord repented he had made saul so what was god saying did god make a mistake did uh, 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 did god regret his decision to make saul king did god say man if i knew this was going to happen i would have done things differently is that what happened here if God could go back and do it over again, would, would he have done it differently? It says he repented that he made Saul king. So what does it mean when, God, when it says God, the Bible, when it says God repented over what he had done? To make this matter even a little bit more, uh, I guess, uh, to try to, to remedy this, this, these statements, look at verse 29 in the midst of this chapter where it says, Samuel's speaking here, but he says also the strength of Israel. That's God. That's why it's capitals there in your Bible. The strength of Israel will not lie nor, what? Repent. Now, wait a minute. It's the same word. It says God repented he made Samuel king, or Saul king. And now it says uh, that, that, that God does not repent. That sounds seems like a pretty... Uh, pretty Dramatic contradiction, wouldn't you say? Are we? Is that not what it sounds like? Are we? Anybody here? Okay. <laughs> but what may appear on the surface to be a glaring contradiction is really trying to teach us a deeper truth, a, a profound truth about who God is, about His character, and about His uh, His. Uh, promises about his grace in fact what we find here and what we'll find before we get done this morning is this goes right back to jesus christ and his provision and we'll see that as we go but looking into verse 29 just for a moment the end of the verse goes on it says for he is not a man that he should repent and so god's repentance understand god's repentance is not the same as man's repentance right. <laughs> man repents or changes uh turns direction for one of two reasons either one remorse over sin uh, over wrongdoing uh, that's the typical thing that we think of or secondly because of new information that is we, we change direction we change uh attitude we we decide whether we're going to try it differently or do something differently because we have new information that comes to us that so, well this it didn't work, so we're going to try it this way, or whatever it might be, but new information. But you see, neither of those statements can be made, can be said of God, can they? God is perfect. He does no wrongdoing. Uh, he does no wrong. He does no sin. And, and everything about him is perfect. And so it can't be remorse over wrongdoing. And it can't be a change because of new information. I mean, that, again, by just looking at, at just this verse, if we didn't understand the context, didn't look at this this morning in more depth. We would say, well, it sounds like God's saying, I wish I would have done it differently. I mean, that's what it sounds like, that that maybe I should have had a different plan. (laughs) But think about this for a moment. Is anything new to God? Is there ever any information that comes across God's desk, if you will, that he did not previously know? Not according to the word of God. In fact, if you go back, we're not going to do that this morning, but you go back uh, several chapters here, you will see that when Israel... Begged for a king, and God was ready to give them Saul. He told them, he warned them, this isn't going to end well. Right. <laughs> You're not going to like this as much as you think you are. And so it's exactly what happened. God already knew the outcome, that this was not going to end well. Uh, he knew the consequences of their clamoring for a king. And so it's not due to new information. And so uh, God's repentance is not the same as man's repentance. repentance in regard to salvation, I mean, we talked about this in our series on, on Peter. Uh, repentance, in regard, in regard to sin or salvation, means a change of mind leading to a change of direction. Right? A change of heart, change of direction. It's turning from sin and turning to God. But in the Old Testament, when used in reference to God, this word uh, repent here, in the Hebrew, it means to sigh heavily. In other words, it is, a, it is expressing great Sorrow. I've told you before about the two men sitting on the park bench. And several minutes pass by. Nobody says a word. They're just sitting there. And finally one of the fellows, he lets out a big sigh. The other fellow says, that's it. He said, if you're going to talk politics, I'm out of (laughs) here. Have you ever sighed in recent days hope <laughs> oh, for politics yeah. that's kind of the picture we have all right it's expressing great sorrow not repentance because of wrongdoing not even a change of mind but we'll see exactly what he's referring to here but it has to do with sorrow i'm gonna look at a few places this morning so we're gonna to go to a few different places in our, in our bibles genesis chapter 6 genesis chapter 6 if you did not uh, don't have a Bible with you, there are some in the pew in front of you, I encourage you again, as I always do, to look for yourself, okay? That's good practice. I don't care who's up here, <laughs> that you make sure it says what the preacher says it says, okay? But Genesis chapter six, verse five. All right, Genesis six verse five, it says, "And God saw the wickedness, that the wickedness of man was great in the earth." And that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on earth. Similar to what we were looking at as far as Saul is concerned. But then it says it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth. Both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air. For it repenteth me that I have made them. Again, it sounds like God is saying, I'm sorry I did it. I, I wish I wouldn't have done this. That's what it appears to us, that, that God is saying, well, that turned out to be a bad idea. <laughs> Understand, though, God was not expressing remorse for his actions, that is, in the creation of man, but rather over their rebellion and sin. In fact, it tells us, verse 6, it grieved him at his heart. Do you realize this morning that your sin grieves God? Right. It doesn't just grieve those that, that it might affect, if there's someone else involved, but it grieves God. He sighs heavily. We could probably even use the word he repents. Not because he made you, but because of what you've made, of what he gave you. It grieved him. Because of man's sin, God was ready to destroy all of mankind and the, and the rest of his creation. Every creepy thing. Every, he was ready to just wipe it all out. But he didn't, did he? No, he didn't do that. Now the flood was a serious thing, but he didn't destroy everything he created. We find another piece, if you will, to the puzzle. Verse 8, it says, but Noah found what? Grace, that's an important word, in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. You see, God never acts contrary to his character. God is holy, yes, that's why he's grieving over sin. That's why he's ready to judge sin. But he's also a God of what? What's the word in verse 8 we just read? Grace. He's also a God of grace. I'll pose this question, as kind of a side question, but since it's in our text, did Noah deserve to be on the ark? Was he perfect? <laughs> no. He deserved, oh, maybe not some of the, as the judgment of some of these others, but he still didn't deserve salvation. None of us deserve salvation. That's why it says Noah found grace. That's undeserved favor is what grace means in the eyes of the Lord. But understand, yes, God is holy. God is right to punish, But God is also a God of grace. And so he saved a man and his family to preserve mankind. And he saved animal kind. He saved, we know what happened there with the ark and the animals. And so, yes, it says God repented. It means he grieved heavily, but he didn't change his his mind about sin. Didn't change his mind about, uh, or his ways of grace. Didn't didn't change his plans. They had purpose, and we'll look at that before we close this morning, from the foundation of the earth. So, we understand here that that, uh, it says God repented, but it wasn't a mistake. God created man, how? Perfect. Right? Perfect. In fact, Genesis tells us there in chapter 2 that he saw in 1 and 2, but he saw everything he made and he said it was good. Very good. It's perfect. Now go to the book of Exodus. we look at a second instance of repentance. And there's, again, there's at least a dozen of these in the Old Testament, but I just want to pick out uh, three primary ones this morning to get our point across. Exodus 32. verse 9, and again, as we go, we're going to see a focus point in a very particular direction before we're done. But Exodus 32, verse 9, it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. And now therefore let me alone, that I may, my wrath may wax hot against them, that I may consume them, and I will make of thee, of Moses, a great nation. Verse 11, Moses besought the Lord God and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people that thou wast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? God had a purpose in all of that. Verse 12, wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, for mischief did he bring them out to slay them in the mountains, consume them from the face of the earth, turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people? Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants, to whom thou swearest by thine own self, and said unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of, will, spoken of will I give unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. And look at verse 14. And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. The judgment that he thought to do unto his people. Now, again, you know the backdrop most likely. If not, you can go back and read the, the remainder of this, this account later But uh, here they are again. They'd succumbed to idolatry. They'd made the golden uh, calf and began to worship and and turned away from God. And so God said, I'm done with them. I'm ready to wipe them out. And he said, Moses, I'm going to start over with you. (laughs) Moses pleaded with God, didn't he? He said, God, please repent of this evil, of this judgment. In verse 14, it says the Lord did just that. Now, understand, yes, God answers prayer. But God always acts consistently with his character and in accordance to his ultimate will. God chose not to destroy them, not because they deserve to be spared, but because of who he is and because of his promises. That's what Moses is is reiterating here, right? Right? He said, God, remember the promises. And God didn't need reminded, okay? But but Moses is pouring out his heart, his soul. (laughs) God never goes back on his word. Never goes back on his word. Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken and shall he not make it good? So, in other words, if God says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. Amen. Remember, no shadow of turning. Uh, there's not a single promise God has made to us, to, to Israel here, but to us either, that he will not keep. God will never repent, never change his mind regarding his promises to you. And so God made a promise to Abraham about his seed. And he made a promise. Uh, and, and so Moses is just saying, remember what you said, Lord. And again, God didn't re- need reminded. But God says, yes, I'm sorry. Yes, he, he, he was burdened. Yes, he grieved over his, what his creation, again, had done. How they turned from him. But he remembered what he'd said. God will never repent or change his mind regarding his promise. So again, God did not change in this In this account. And I would even say he didn't really change his mind. right? His his purposes didn't change. His promises didn't change. Who he is did not change. Let's go one more place. We'll try to bring this out even a little bit more. Go to Jonah chapter 3. Anybody else ever have to go through the song or the the books of the Bible in your head to find this? Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. All right, is that kind of... Amos comes before, so... (laughs) I failed to mark it ahead of time. Usually I try to mark these small books (laughs) ahead of time. Jonah chapter 3. Again, you know the... Let's just read a few verses. Verse 4. Jonah 3 verse 4 says, Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey and he cried and said yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. For the word came to the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne and he, he laid his robe from him and covered him with, with sackcloth and sat in ashes and he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles saying let neither man nor beast herd nor flock taste anything let them not feed nor drink water but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands who can tell if God will turn and repent And turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not. And God saw their works. That they turned from their evil way. And God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them. And he did it not. Again, we don't need to go into the the whole background. You understand what is taking place here. Nineveh had 40 days to repent because of their wickedness. And by the way, they were a wicked people. We could spend some time talking about that. But they would... would, uh, uh, flay their enemy. They would skin their enemies often alive and, and use their skins for, for, uh, for wallpaper if you will. for the. Uh, and so these were wicked people. Okay, I didn't mean to give that dis- description before you eat lunch but but just to let you know these pe- if anybody deserved judgment these people did. <laughs> and so God said uh, I'm going to destroy you in 40 days and that was the message and, and so Jonah goes and says you better get straightened up. <laughs> again now to verse 10 where it says God saw their works well verse uh, yeah verse 10 God saw their works that, that, that they repented or they turned from their evil way rather and God repented of the evil that he had said he would do unto them and he did it not so again think just for a moment here now God changed the planned course of action of destruction but did God change his mind did he uh, did God change uh, who He was? Did God change uh, His character? or Anything about Himself? No. He didn't change His mind at all. Uh, he didn't change at all. The result changed, but that was because what? Their response to God. So He didn't change His mind, or His purpose, or His plan. One iota. But the outcome changed because He is who he is because he is consistent with his character, not acting against his character. (laughs) Because they obeyed God and repented, God was faithful to show mercy and to forgive them. Again, not because he had to, but that's who he is. God of compassion, God of mercy, God of grace. Had they not repented, what would have happened? They would have been destroyed just as God had said. So again, he didn't change his plan, didn't change his purpose, didn't change any of that. But the outcome changed because how they responded to God. Listen, God always blesses obedience. And he always judges disobedience. Right. Every single time. You may think you, you escaped it. You may think that, that nobody knows or, the, or that, uh, well, nothing bad has happened so far. I guess I can keep doing this. Understand, God judges disobedience and sin every single time unless it's repented of. But God will judge. And so, let's go back to the beginning. Does God change? No. Does He ever change circumstances or outcomes? Absolutely. Why? Because He's faithful. Because of His faithfulness to His character. To his person. Faithfulness in keeping his word to you and I. In fact, every time someone cries out to God for salvation, God changes course in that person's life. Once bound for destruction, for eternal hell, just as the people of Nineveh. But now they're saved. They're forgiven. Because of how they respond to God's word. Now, let's, in closing, let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 1. So what is all of this really all about? 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. God's purposes, God's plan, uh, and God's uh, uh, direction. 2 Timothy verse one or chapter 1, verse 9 and 10 it says this. Who has saved us, it's God in the previous verse, God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. Not according to our works, but according to His own what? Purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. But now is made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So verse 9 says, we are not saved because we deserve it. We're not saved because of our works. But we're saved because of His purpose and His grace, which was given what? In Christ. His purpose in Christ is why we stand here today. A redeemed people. If you're here and you're, you, you know Christ is your Savior. It's his eternal purpose in Christ. That is not just for eternity, but from eternity, right? It says, before the world began. Okay, so let's wrap our minds around just for a second as we close. In other words, when God put Adam and Eve in the garden, and when they sinned, when it came to, to Genesis 6, that we looked at, uh, when, when man's wickedness became so great that God uh, brought that great flutter, when, in the case of King Saul, all of those, it was already all encompassed in the sacrifice of Christ. Uh, he already had it all planned out. There was no new information, uh, there was nothing that God had to change his mind about or change his character about. It was already included. In his plan. Right. He already had this all scoped out. Isn't that amazing to think about? We're saved because of eternal purpose in Christ before the world began. So the intention when God put Adam and Eve in the garden was Christ. That was the intention all along. Why? Again, because he is a God of grace, a God of mercy. But don't trample on his grace or mercy. There's plenty of stories about that as well in Scripture. But he made provision. Christ was not his backup plan. (laughs) When Adam and Eve sinned, God didn't say, well, now what am I going to, I guess I'll have to come up with some way to. No, it was his plan all along. Because he's God. There's no past, present, future with God. When when he declares it done, it's done. That's why the Bible says Christ, uh, the Lamb of God, was slain before the foundation of the world. It was already done. Even though in time it had not occurred yet on this earth. He made provision for your salvation, for my salvation. And the salvation of every human being before this world ever was in existence. But now, here's the the, the bottom line. It's up to us. It's up to man to respond to his offer of grace and mercy. When a person rejects Christ, I've said this over and over again, just understand, that may seem like a simple decision, but when a person rejects Christ, they reject everything he has to offer. Forgiveness of sin, eternal life, an escape from an eternal damnation in a place called hell, where there is no no relief for all eternity. It includes the, the joy and the peace that he gives us in the midst of a troubling world. When you reject Christ, you reject it all. If you've already received Christ, oh, James 4.8 tells us this, Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Draw near to God, he will draw nigh to you. You see, God has made all the provision he possibly can. Now it's up to man to respond to that provision. If you've already received Christ's and experienced His forgiveness and salvation, the question remains how will you respond to God's provision of grace in your life? (laughs) It doesn't stop at salvation. Deuteronomy chapter 11 verse 26 through 28. We won't turn there. I'll just quote it for you for time's sake. But God says this. Behold, I set before you many of you already know the verse. I set before you a blessing and a Curse. A blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, and a curse if you disobey the commands of the Lord your God, which I give you this day. And so God says, it's your choice. Blessing or cursing. And that word cursing, by the way, it's, he's not talking about, uh, again, some, uh, you know, got to watch it because something's going to fall on your head. I mean, that word curse, there, it literally means withdrawal okay so you can have God's blessing or he can withdraw his blessing from your life as a child of God is that what we want and so even if you're here and you're saved praise God for that but the question is how will you respond to his provision of grace in your life does he have to repent over you over your actions Blessing if you obey. Curse if you don't obey. God will judge sin and disobedience in your life every single time. And so, again, our sin grieves God. Not because he regrets making you. You're made in his image. In the moral, spiritual, the, the moral image of God. He created you for a purpose. So, it's not that he regrets making us, but sometimes he regrets... Because of what we have made of him. Made of what he's given us. Bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. I tremble at the thought. That if. Now please understand my context here. That if the Bible were written today. If the revelation of God were given today. I tremble the thought that it would say. That. It repented me that I put Mark where I put him. (laughs) It repented me that I made him. That ought to make us uh, shudder a little bit. (laughs) From God's perspective of our lives, what would he say? He's made all the provision he possibly can for your life. The question is, what are you going to make of what he's given you? Father, thank you this morning for this time in your word. I know it's been a different message this morning. Had no alliterated points. Had no uh, nothing necessarily organized, laid out here. But but to contemplate this thought of the repentance of God, Father, I pray that none of us here would be guilty of today of. Causing you to repent. That is causing you to grieve over our actions. You've created us to be something far better than what oftentimes we do and we live. Now, again, Father, I know that, that uh, you're a loving God, a patient God, and, and you're there to, to, to help us continue on this path, but it is a growing thing, and, and you are conforming us, the Bible says, to the image of your Son. That's the purpose. Romans tells us that you have laid out for every child of God that we be fashioned in the image of your Son. Father, I pray that we this morning would recommit ourselves to that purpose in our life. Not a purpose of, of self-preservation or of self-adulation. Not a purpose of, uh, of any other thing that we might uh, want for our, for our lives on this earth, but a recommitment to the purpose that you have set forth to make us more like your son. So Father, if this morning there's anything that your spirit has brought to our attention, I pray that we would pay attention to that and that we would spend a moment here in this closing time to get one-on-one with you, even in the midst of this crowd, but to get one-on-one with you. That we might repent and and get back where we ought to be in our relationship, our walk with you, so that you don't have to repent over our sin, that you don't have to grieve, that you don't have to change circumstances in our life because of our disobedience. So, Father, I'm going to pause just a moment and let us contemplate these things before we move on to the next segment of our service. Father, help us to be sensitive, responsive, to your spirit, not to walk out these doors and and shrug it off and say, well, I'll think about it later. (laughs) I know that's something I need to deal with at some point. No, we might deal with it right now, right here. It's it's that important that we take care of that matter today, whatever it might be that you've spoken to our hearts about, matter of obedience in our life, maybe that we are not uh, doing, or matter of disobedience that ought not be in our life. Again, we pray this In the name of our Savior. Amen. Let's take our hymnals. We're going to close with invitation hymn as we reflect a little bit. Let God speak to your heart before we go on to our communion time together.